the final countdown. But don't worry, we're here to hold your hand through the electoral madness. I've not been off the television screens. You know what? I'm looking forward to next Thursday. Paul Osborne here. Thank you for downloading this week's podcast, which reaches you as the excitement of the 2017 general election reaches fever pitch. I know I can barely contain my excitement. The good news is we don't have to wait much longer. This time next week, it will all be over. Well, the election will be over anyway. The Brexit talks, the inevitable series of crises linked to the Brexit talks, the inevitable series of rows over Scottish independence, they're all still to come. And of course, at any moment, Donald Trump could send us all tumbling into a fiery furnace. But still, You remember the day when this surprise election was sprung on us just after Easter? We knew exactly how it was going to go. The Conservatives would calmly walk towards an enormous crushing majority while Labour would run a Keystone Cop-style chaotic campaign blundering to disaster. That's not entirely how it's gone. I think it's an exciting offer. I think it's one that's getting the most amazing traction as much from older people as younger people. You know what? I'm looking forward to next Thursday. Labour are still behind in the polls, but suddenly they're the ones who sound relaxed and confident, while the Tories, seemingly still well on the way to victory, are jittery and nervous. This election, which was supposed to be intensely, desperately boring, has suddenly become rather interesting. What on earth is happening? Could we be about to see a general election in which Theresa May will win, but see her reputation badly dinted, while Jeremy Corbyn will lose, but find himself in a stronger position? Well, let's explore that now with Robert Meakin. Robert, Jeremy Corbyn was barely on speaking terms with most of his own MPs in the last parliament, but I have never seen him as relaxed and confident since he became Labour leader as he has been in the last couple of weeks. Now, even some of the more optimistic predictions have him losing two dozen or more seats, but his leadership seems more secure now than it has been for years. This is the most effective we've seen Corbyn since that remarkable leadership election of 2015. I think two years on, I think he looks very comfortable in his own skin. He loves being out on the campaign trail a hell of a lot more than he you know, likes being in the House of Commons. And I think he's really come into his own. I think his, uh, the way he's campaigned, I think, is deserving of credit, particularly when you compare it to the far more uptight, pre-scripted approach of his Tory opponent. And the contrast with Theresa May is extraordinary. This sort of personality cult that she tried to develop at the beginning does seem to be rubbing a few Tory voters up the wrong way. Added to the fact that for somebody who has said over and over again how much they're like engaging with ordinary voters, she's actually really, really bad at it. She's stilted and awkward and uncomfortable and just not good with people. It was uh, a manufactured image in the first place, as we have said before, the idea, I mean, Theresa May has reveled in the idea of being the bloody difficult woman, the, uh, the successor to the Iron Lady. They've, they've lapped that up, her supporters. The reality is, is she's really nothing of the sort. She is socially awkward. She's only really comfortable making, as I say, pre-scripted speeches when she responds to the media. It's in, again, sort of prepared sound bites. the way she responds. 
one. She doesn't seem able to think out the box. Now, none of this is a big surprise. This is what the Tory party voted for for leader. This is what they bought into. They thought she was a straight bat, a relatively dull person, dare I say, but was a safe pair of hands who wouldn't mess things up at this very crucial messy time in British politics. So it comes as no surprise to me that people are now saying, oh my goodness, she's not quite what we thought she she was. She doesn't seem as strong or certain or powerful or aggressive as as we thought she might be. She was never any of those things. She didn't have to have this election. She did it because she thought she could absolutely crush the Labour Party started with this huge lead and has, over the course of the campaign, seen a man that she has derided as basically useless chip away at that lead week after week after week. More voters have seen that kind of brittle, perhaps even slightly arrogant side to Mrs May. And and also, just to make the problem a bit worse, she has treated the entire Conservative Party as if it were a barrel of toxic waste. Now, partly that's because they're going after places in the North, in the Midlands and Scotland, where the, the Conservative brand name is actually toxic. But you hear about local Tory parties who've had candidates imposed on them by Tory HQ and then been told to get out door knocking in support of somebody who, in some cases, they they've barely met she's allowed the narrative to be that she was going to win a landslide then she's lost her lead she had that massive embarrassing u-turn on social care that was a direct attack on her most loyal voters and she does with the best will in the world sound like a broken robot parroting the same phrases over and over and over again it's obviously a very good position to be in when you're 20 plus points ahead in the opinion polls i think it's also fair to argue when you are in such a ludicrously strong position going into an election possibly the only way is really down i it was it looked so hopelessly one-sided when we started this that that uh, jeremy corbyn leading this divided party a pretty hopeless front bench on many levels uh theresa may was was seen as the, the outstanding favorite I think as time has gone on, you know, Corbyn has, has, has generated confidence now because he's, he's out of that Westminster bubble. So he's drawn in confidence. I think people who were you know, suspicious or unimpressed with him before have just seen seen a more, more impressive side to him. And I think natural Labour supporters have started to warm to him a bit more. While on the flip side, I think conservative-leaning uh, supporters have thought, well, Theresa May isn't quite what we, we hoped for. I still think if we have to step back, because we're in a very heightened time, it would seem that the reality is the Conservatives are ahead. They're just not as, as ahead big time as they were previously. The story right now would seem to be, on June 9th, is how much Theresa May won by. The Tories are still going to win this election. If you're a Labour supporter, don't get carried away with some fantasy about Jeremy Corbyn being Prime Minister in a week's time. Indeed, it is the very fact that voters have come to the conclusion that Mr Corbyn cannot possibly win that may be encouraging some people who are not going to vote Labour to change their minds and support the Labour Party partly because they think it's a safe thing to do, partly because they probably don't like the idea of the Tories having a majority of 100-plus seats. But the Tories are clearly rattled. You can see in the last couple of days, uh, Theresa May talking about Jeremy Corbyn will be scrabbling around for a deal with Nicola Sturgeon. The same stuff we heard two years ago when the opinion polls were much tighter throughout the race. This idea that Labour would do a deal with anybody to get into power. I think that really isn't a prospect, but but it does feel increasingly like this election 
is one that Theresa May chose to do when she didn't need to and is going to win, but is going to lose an enormous amount of credibility. Yeah, and the the Conservative Party is a ruthless beast, as we well know. Here she was, Queen Almighty, only a few weeks ago, and people were imagining, my goodness, well, well she's going to be around as Prime Minister for you know, potentially many years to come. That you can already feel yeah, the, the the tide has changed in in that regard, and you know the Conservative Party is an unforgiving organisation. So if she does blow this, and I mean blow this in terms of she only wins by you know thirty, forty, fifty seats rather than what they're really hoping for, this thumping landslide majority, the plots will inevitably begin. With the election just a few days away, it does feel like every time you turn on your television, there's another politician shilling for your vote. In the past week, they've been grilled by Andrew Neil, Jeremy Paxman, and audiences packed full of especially angry voters. Angry, perhaps, at being forced to go through this whole fiasco two years after the last election and after being repeatedly promised that it wouldn't happen. You can kind of understand, given all that, why Theresa May stayed away from the BBC's debate, even after Jeremy Corbyn's last-minute decision to take part. Come on, Prime Minister. Come and have a chat. Come and have a debate. And I can be ever so polite. But there are a number of questions I want to put to you. I've been very clear from the start that the sort of campaign I want to do is about taking questions, meeting people and taking questions. I've not been off the television screens. Jeremy Corbyn seems to be paying far more attention to how many appearances on telly he's doing. I think he ought to be paying a little more attention to thinking about Brexit negotiations. That's what I'm doing to make sure we get the best possible deal for Britain. Robert, she was right to stay away, wasn't she? Because Prime Minister's never have a good time in these debates. They only agree to take part if they're losing anyway, and she isn't losing, even if she's having a massive wobble. She didn't have a good time against Paxman on Monday night on Sky, and the audience wasn't particularly kind to her either. So... uh, I can understand why she wouldn't want to do that BBC debate, but Jeremy Corbyn kind of called her bluff a little bit by turning up, because to those who did watch it, and bear in mind probably not that many people did watch that BBC debate, she looks scared of facing her opponents, aloof, arrogant. It plays into all of those narratives. I I mean, I'm not convinced in, in real terms in terms of actually winning a general election, whether it'll have done her that much harm not turning up. I know in the short term she's getting a lot of flack and deserved on one level. But if she turned up, she would have been playing to her weaknesses. I mean, she would not have been able to cut through. I'd, I mean, the, the actual debate was a bit of a fiasco. The format made it very, very difficult for anyone really to shine. It was just a barrage of noise. Just too much shouting. It's a format that doesn't work, and I'm not sure we'll be seeing that again anytime soon because it, it, it really didn't impress and and while no one was no one had a disaster no one particularly had a great night either similarly i have to say that jeremy corbyn isn't good in that debate format he he starts to get a bit stilted and wooden again and i think he was again on that bbc debate he was much better on the one show he was much better when he was dealing with jeremy paxman he was much better with that audience on on sky at the start of the week paul nuttall was just Desperately out of his depth, he was almost like a pub bore trying to join in on the conversation. He wasn't wasn't particularly wanted. He's 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 not an impressive or convincing figure. It doesn't uh, seem to have been a particularly good campaign for Mr. Nuttall. Tim Farron, I thought, had some good one-liners, and he and he came across well, and he was likable. But the problem, and this is the Lib Dem problem right through the campaign, when he advanced his Brexit argument about another referendum and a route to staying in the EU, it was met with basically silence, and. 
even a significant chunk of Remainers have now moved on from that. I have to say, though, that for me, the star of that particular debate was probably Caroline Lucas, who was calm, passionate, had points that she wanted to make on things like poverty and climate change and the arms trade, and for her, in front of a much bigger than normal audience, and did it pretty well. I've heard a lot of people, many of whom have said they're not going to vote Green, but... They thought she was pretty good. And you wouldn't normally associate, I don't think, anyway, Caroline Lucas, the idea of Caroline Lucas thriving in that sort of that sort of multi-debate sort of format. You wouldn't imagine that would necessarily be her shtick normally. But she, I thought, yeah, you're right. She really cut through. She got I can I can remember her messages still all these hours on. Well, a lot of the others, I really can't remember much what they said at all. I thought Amber Rudd, to be fair, who had the most unenviable gig of all of them, turned up and actually performed pretty well on the night. She, yeah, you know, she was essentially. You know, an attack dog for, in terms of Jeremy Corbyn, and I think she did. She did her job, so I don't think anyone can really complain about her. Corbyn had a better week early, earlier in the week when he was on against Paxman, obviously, and wasn't able really to get his message through again, just because the format wouldn't really allow it. Now, in fact, far more people listened to Woman's Hour on Radio Four than watched either the Sky uh, News debate at the start of the week or the BBC One in the middle of the week. It's why politicians are so keen to get on the program. So there was a lot for Jeremy Corbyn to gain from his appearance to talk up Labour's plans to expand free childcare in England. And then he was asked how much it would cost. I didn't have the exact figure in front of me, so I was unable to answer that question. For which, obviously, I apologise. Robert, after the interview, uh, Jeremy Corbyn's army of trolls turned on Emma Barnett, who was the interviewer, and very quickly it went from criticism of the interview to abuse to anti-Semitism in some cases. And it just doesn't make any sense. Jeremy Corbyn supporters have every right to be angry about that cock-up in that woman's hour interview, but they had chosen entirely the wrong target. If you want to be angry, get angry at the people around Mr. Corbyn, around the other senior figures in the Labour Party, who are repeatedly sending them into high-profile interviews woefully, woefully underprepared. Write the bloody figure on a piece of paper. Who goes into an interview about a major spending commitment without knowing how much it's going to cost? Not as embarrassingly, I have to say, as certain other front benchers, but he certainly struggles. And that is where it seems that you know, the, this current Labour hierarchy falls down. When you talk about the supporters, it just goes to sheer lunacy and obviously something more sinister. We have this all the time when it's not a general election. But when you know, they, they have obviously this belief that the mainstream media are all against their man and they're just on social media just right up against people as soon as anyone dares say anything i mean the number of times i've seen bbc journalists for example on twitter being accused of being tory stooges in in recent weeks it's just beyond parody you know and uh, i'm afraid it's just an, it's an, the unfortunate underbelly of this campaign most of the people who do it are really aren't the sharpest tools in the box it's not just the labor party it has to be said have a listen to this this is what happens if you try to ask a challenging question at the UKIP manifesto launch. That delightful chap who was shouting crawl back down your hole at Laura Kunzberg was a UKIP MEP 
by the way. I mean, how dare journalists point out that the UKIP election campaign is going about as well as a leisure cruise on the Titanic? There has been far too much of this moaning at the media, frankly, from all sides right the way through the campaign. The Tories started keeping senior figures off Sky News because they didn't like the questions they were getting. Labour's most fervent fans can't go 10 minutes without hurling abuse at some poor bugger who's just trying to ask a question. UKIP think it's perfectly all right to adopt those kind of bully boy tactics. You know what? If these parties devoted half as much energy to professionalising their campaigns as they do to abusing the people who are trying to report on them, maybe there might be fewer hostile questions. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the Tory campaign, in terms of its dealings with the media, is quite constipated in its approach, really. I mean, they, they're so scared... Of, of messing up or Theresa May being subjected to uncomfortable questions. They've just gone completely overboard. So that that, that media operation is nothing to be proud of presently. As we've, we've spoken about Labour already, and that's more to do, obviously, with their supporters as well. Uh, just crying conspiracy when, when anyone ever dares to ask a difficult question. UKIP, I'm afraid, have just turned into the village idiots of the whole thing. And uh, yeah, the, 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 the treatment, again, of the BBC journalists the other day just, just summed up the calibre of some of the people presently in that party. So as we go into the closing days of this election campaign, the narrative does appear to have changed and it's all about Labour's improved performance and how close they might get to the Conservatives on election night. For this to be true, of course, you have to believe the polls. God knows why we would. But... The polls, let's talk about them anyway, still suggest that the race is narrowing, albeit from a Tory landslide to a more modest but still relatively significant Conservative victory. But that isn't what YouGov predicted a few days ago. Now, this was not a poll, as the, the Times falsely called it on its front page. This was a study based on interviews with thousands of voters, combined with population data, the EU referendum result, and all sorts of other things, to try and predict the result in individual seats. It concluded there was a chance, albeit just a chance, that the Conservatives could lose ground and Labour gain seats and we could be back in a hung Parliament. Now, Robert, I've spoken to Labour campaigners on the ground who say that is not the experience that we're having. I have spoken to people in constituencies that you govern claiming the Labour Party could theoretically gain who have said, I've seen no evidence of any kind of Labour campaign round my way. But there's been a surge in youth voter registration. The under-25s do break significantly for Labour, even more so, it seems, this time because of an enthusiasm for Jeremy Corbyn. If, big if, they actually bothered to vote this time, they could make a big difference to the outcome. But, and I've banged on about this forever, over 65s, 80% of them voted in the general election two years ago. Under 25s, 40% of them voted in the general election. That, youth voter, is why politicians don't give a rat's ass about you. Yeah, and that's why you still have a suspicion, although Corbyn is having a real honeymoon period at the moment. However popular he may be in terms of the, and the, and the media, obviously he's getting he's getting far better press than he's had for a long time. At the end of the day, I think you'll get a lot of people quietly saying, "Actually, Jeremy Corbyn surprised me during this campaign. Am I going to vote for him? No, I won't." And I think that I, I suspect that will be uh, the the unsaid deed on the day. Uh, it's worth pointing out there is some evidence and a, a new poll uh, in the last twenty four hours showing that Labour's bounced back really significantly in Wales and is now far ahead of the Conservatives. So the notion of the Tories marching through Wales seems to have 
have faded away and Labour seem to be catching up with the Tories and challenging for second place in Scotland though the actual effect of that is probably that it will just help the SNP to hang on to more seats because the anti-SNP vote is going to be split between the two so that's good news for Nicola Sturgeon if anything but we are seeing in Labour's some of Labour's heartlands, Wales, Scotland, London, that Labour are doing better than we perhaps expected. In the end, as we said on day one, this general election will be fought, won and lost in the north of England and the Midlands. Those Labour seats that the Tories are desperate to take, particularly the ones that voted strongly for Brexit, the ones where Theresa May has been going day after day after day, talking about herself and never saying the word conservative. For all of the changing and the the wind blowing through the campaign, it ends on the same crucial factor that it began on. It's all about the North and the Midlands. Yeah, and when, when this campaign began, I mean, they launched their campaign in Halifax, the Tories. They they put their cards on the table there and then. They wanted they want to make big inroads into the North, Midlands, places they haven't been able to touch for decades. Now it seems to be that yeah, they may be they may be overreaching, that in fact some of those places yeah, the, the, the shutters will come down in the end that they won't be able to break through, Scotland included, in certain places that where they hope they could you know, get into this uncharted territory. Maybe it's they, they may have had to moderate their uh, their ambitions. You still get the feeling that the Conservatives really fancy their chances in those key areas. As you say, this general election will be won in the Midlands and the north of England. And the Conservatives feel that they've got still enough ammunition and in those areas to get them over the line and to take some very valuable seats and to put them back into government with a, with a bigger majority. Possibly not now that the, the massive majority they were hoping for before, but I still think they, they quietly will be thinking, yeah, we've, we've, we've still got this. We, we are still going to get back to the House of Commons stronger. We are still going to win some of those target seats. Well, we'll be back uh, on the eve of polling day on Wednesday morning with a handy cutout and keep guide to election night. And of course, once the results are in, we'll have a post-election podcast to keep you up to date. If you're not already a subscriber, well, I can't think of a better time to join our happy team. Uh, I'm also attempting to keep a, a day-by-day election diary on the blog because I just don't have enough work at the moment. So uh, that's popping up every morning uh, and uh, there'll be updates on Twitter too, at Paul Osborne. For the moment, though, thanks very much to Robert. Thanks to you for listening. And until next time, goodbye. Yeah.